Um, if you've got a Bible with you, would you like to turn to uh, Mark's Gospel, uh, chapter 10? Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry, because the scripture references will come up on the screen, so you can follow it there. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, we um, began in Mark chapter 10, we're just moving on now to verse 13, which I'll read in a minute, I think the buckets are just finishing off their rounds. Okay, so, Mark chapter 10, verse 13 to 16, says this. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Those are the verses that we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at this morning. As we've been in this central chunk of Mark's gospel, the focus has been on uh, Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. So it really began... um, when Jesus went up the mountain of transfiguration, that's probably near Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea Philippi in the north. Ever since that point, he's been journeying towards Jerusalem. And on the way, um, a focus of his attention has been teaching and training his 12 disciples. Jesus knows what's going to happen in Jerusalem. He knows he's going to be laying down his own life. And he knows that, uh, that thereafter... Um, the, the disciples, these 12 men that he chose to spend time with, would be, if you like, the, the key representatives of the kingdom. So he wants to make sure they actually understand his kingdom, and they understand the values that go along with it, so he's investing time in teaching them. And on the way through, we've, um, we've had some highlights, I suppose, of what Jesus must have taught, um, showing what his kingdom is like and we've seen topics that cover leadership and what it means to truly be great if you want to be first he says to his disciples he needs to teach them so they understand what leadership in the kingdom of God should look like and he spoke to them about dealing with sin about holiness about cutting off sin being pure and salty um in all of their uh, attitudes and behaviour. He's going to go on to talk about um, money and greed and what's a kingdom attitude towards money? Some really big meaty themes. And then uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the beginning of chapter 10, like I said, on uh, marriage and divorce. What are kingdom values when it comes to relationships? And you kind of know when you when we opened that passage and looked at chapter 10, well, this is a, this is a weighty subject. This is, this is something that's really important to understand and to put into practice uh, in life. We want to get marriage right. And then we come to verses on Jesus welcoming and blessing little children. And I wonder, what's your immediate response when you hear those few verses. It's just brief. It's not developed at great length. Sounds a bit quaint. 
Jesus spending time with little children. And we automatically think, ah, or maybe you don't, but some of us might do. Oh, bless. Isn't that, isn't that quaint? Isn't that kind of sentimental? Um, we can think of it in, in those words, but look, in, in sharing his gospel account, Mark is a man in a hurry. He is speeding through the ministry of Jesus and this time of teaching disciples, and he's going to spend a lot of time uh, in Jerusalem and what happens there. Um, he's a man in a hurry, so he, he kind of cuts to the chase. It was interesting because if we were reading Luke's gospel, Luke takes ten chapters, give or take a few verses, ten chapters to get from Jesus being transfigured on the mountain before three of his disciples, coming back down the mountain, then travelling all the way to Jerusalem. He enters Jerusalem. Luke takes ten chapters to do that. Mark takes two. He's, he's rushing. He's hurrying. Obviously, he's not talking about everything that happened, everything that is possible to talk about. And even when he does touch on something, he can be briefer than some of the others. But that shows us that what he chooses to include here is even more important. If you're in a hurry, if you've got a long journey, but you know the clock's ticking and you really want to arrive there on time, then you might travel a bit faster and you might stop off on fewer occasions. Mark is speeding through. The fact that he stops here to talk about Jesus interacting with children means that we should come with the same sense of importance as we came two weeks ago when we looked at divorce and marriage. Oh, wow, that's, we've got to understand that. We need to allow that to thoroughly uh, permeate our thinking. We need to make sure that we are taking hold of truth and living it out. So that there are marriages on the earth that glorify God and give, give people a, a, an impression, a taste of what the kingdom of God is actually like. Well, I will say this is just as important to understand and to allow to saturate the way that we think and live life. There are kingdom values at stake Yet again, the disciples need a huge correction in their uh, thinking. In these few verses, though, we're going to see Jesus teaching them. That's the focus of the, 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 the middle in, in verses 14 and 15, Jesus teaching his disciples. But it starts with people bringing, their, bringing children to Jesus to have him touch them. The purpose is clear when we see in verse 16 that Jesus... Uh, follows through. He, he took the children in his arms, he put his hands on them and blessed them. So there's something for us to, to understand this morning, as it were. It's, well, I'll say just broadly at the outset, it's all about children. But there are, there are two lessons for us to learn. There are two lessons that Jesus is teaching us. Number one. God, it's quite simple, God cares about children. We see that right here. 
we see in Jesus a demonstration of what's in God's heart. What is God like? And therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And God's heart is to include children. Not that children are automatically a part of the kingdom. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, for the kingdom of God belongs to these doesn't say the kingdom of God belongs to all children. All children are part of God's kingdom already. And maybe that means by implication at some point in the teenage years they can slip out of it. Um, no one, none of us are born um, innocent. We're all born cute. We're all born obviously uh, adorable. Let me just make that clear at the prayer meeting on Sunday, just watching a little baby who's been brought along, being held like this, and just falling asleep, whilst uh, lots of guys just gathered around and went, yeah, cool. (laughs) (laughs) So absolutely uh, gorgeous and precious, but not born um, perfect or sinless, or even neutral. It's, It's not a kind of case where we're just... There's an age of innocence and at some point society has influenced all of us and we start to pick up bad habits. Um, but really to start with, we were, uh, we were fine. Uh, no, we're all born cute, but we were all born uh, me-centred and hardwired to find ways of rebelling and find ways of putting me first and find ways of sinning. So, um, in a, a, a well-known psalm, Psalm 51, David is looking back on his own sin and also how God rescued him from it. But he comments within that in Psalm 51, verse 4, verse 5, uh, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceive me. So no one, no one had to teach us how to uh, disobey God or disobey parents or disobey teachers. It kind of comes uh, naturally uh, to all of us. So that's why Jesus is saying, look, don't hinder the children from coming to me because I, I want them to know. I want them to receive. I want them to be involved. I want them to be included. So Jesus is not only interested in the 12 disciples. And if you're here and you've come with mum and dad, um, Jesus is not only interested in in adults, in the leaders, in in your parents. He is, but he is interested in including you too. And we see God's heart right through scripture special festivals and national events um, in the Old Testament and God would make a point of, well, include the children. The children are a part of this. You celebrate the Passover together as a household. Um, On other occasions, something massively significant in the nation is happening and children are there gathered. If it's Ezra praying and sharing God's word and People arriving back, or oh, the children gathered with, with them all together. 
In Joel chapter 2, we have uh, a prophecy that was then looking forward to a day when the Lord would um, pour out his spirit on all people. And in Joel chapter 2, verse 28... He says, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see, will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit on those days. The point was being made that, um, this, what God has planned that we see, um, demonstrated when the Holy Spirit was sent on Pentecost, it wasn't just for a, a certain cross-section of people. It wasn't just for one particular people group. It wasn't just for um, those who'd grown up in Jerusalem. It wasn't, we'd see ultimately as, as this story unfolds, it's not just for people with Jewish heritage. And it's not just for grown-ups. Children receiving the Spirit. Children being used by God. So God's heart is to include children. God's heart is often... Uh, demonstrated in we've seen it in the scriptures to to choose and use children to to speak to, into someone's life at a really tender age so it says in 1 Samuel 3 that the boy Samuel was ministering before the Lord um, Hannah and Elkanah had had their first child they dedicated him to the Lord and Samuel went to the temple as a young boy um, to serve with Eli and if you know what happened, he's, um, it, it's at night, they're sleeping, but God speaks to Samuel. Samuel doesn't understand what's happening, so he assumes, well, it must be Eli that's calling me. So he goes to Eli. Well, yes, I'm, I'm here, you called me. No, I didn't. Go back. Go back. And he sends him back. Go back again. He, he hears God speak to him again. Goes to Eli. You called me. And it takes until the third occasion for Eli to realize, ah, actually, I, I think, I think that's the Lord. Next time, say, I'm, you, I'm here. <laughs> my ears are open, as it were, in my paraphrase. Speak for your servant is listening. God spoke to Samuel, commissioned him. He became a prophet to the nation. Later on, Samuel would be involved in in anointing Israel's next king. They'd had one king, Saul. He'd appeared all strong and impressive, the big grown-up. But he rejected God. And God um, said, you need to appoint a new king, a man after my own heart, and you need to go to Jesse's house. Right, so Samuel goes off, he goes to Jesse's house. Um, Bring your family. We're going to sacrifice to the Lord. Jesse brings all his sons. Well, all his sons. And, well, surely it's this guy, because he's big and strong and tall. He must be the one the Lord has chosen. Goes all the way through Jesse's sons. The Lord is saying, no, it's not him. It's not him. It's not that one. Do you have any more sons? Oh, well, yeah, there's, there's David. But he's a shepherd. He's looking after the sheep. He wasn't even invited to the party. He wasn't even considered. Something significant and important is happening in the life of this family... The prophet of the nation has arrived and he's making a sacrifice. He's going to anoint the next king. Oh, David needn't be here. He's away, he's gone. He's the young one. He's a little one. It's interesting. You think, well, maybe Samuel needed to learn a lesson later in life that had been very apparent to him when he was a boy. As a boy, he meets with God. 
But later on, as he grows up, perhaps adult ways of thinking develop. Oh no, it, it can't be the child. It can't be, it can't be the child. We see God using children in, in big ways, in small ways, perhaps it's, it might just come across as a small footnote. But how was it that Jesus fed 5,000? John's gospel tells us that it was the generosity of a child bringing what he had to Jesus, which were the resources then to bless 5,000 people. Oh, child, he doesn't have much. That's not significant. Oh, poof, what can we... And, and, and maybe the disciples on that occasion can just have that kind of attitude. Can't do anything with that. No, Jesus takes hold of it. Thank you so much. And John just brings that to our attention. It was a child. And sometimes as adults, we can forget this. We can move on. We can become sophisticated. We can even forget what God has done in our own lives when we were really little and young. Well, if God did that for me, there's no reason why I can't do other things for others. At a tender age. God's heart to include children, to use children. God's heart is to bless children. So that's what we see in verse 13 and verse 16. The grown-ups, these parents actually did have some expectation. We want our children to be blessed. Perhaps that was some uh, common practice at the day. If there was a, a rabbi in town, well, of course, you, you, take, you take your children to the rabbi to have the rabbi bless them. But what comes across here is it's not some ritual. It's not some strange ceremony. It's not just a symbolic moment. He took the children in his arms, put his hands on them and blessed them. No, that's what the, that's what the grown-ups wanted. They brought the little children to Jesus to have him touch them. Why? Or just a, a symbolic gesture of niceness. Well, it, it, there's an element of just friendliness, isn't there? Reaching out an arm, physical contact, expressing, that I'm identifying with you. You're important to me. I want to spend time with you. What you're going through matters to me. So just putting a hand on your arm. Tender, appropriate affection. But it's more than that. They know that when Jesus touched people, something changed. They'd seen many times when Jesus had touched people and they'd been healed. They may have even caught one occasion when somebody touched Jesus and he didn't even realize who it was. But wait a minute, power has gone out of me. So when Jesus touches someone's life, it's, it's real blessing. It might not mean over-the-top physical manifestations, but, but re- making a real difference. So when it comes to laying on hands, for us, we're not just doing the nice thing. We're believing that God wants to impart something. God wants to do something. God has the power to change whatever it is we're praying about. God's heart to bless. Not some little sentimental, quaint moment, but something real and powerful going on. So we see then that Jesus is indignant. Jesus is angry. Jesus is annoyed with his disciples because the disciples are turning them away, rebuking the people and hindering the children. It all means that something 
important is at stake. There were loads of occasions when Jesus could have been angry, or we could have been angry if we were in Jesus' shoes. How would we feel if our family totally misunderstood us? How would we feel if the leaders rejected us? How would we feel if our entire, more or less, hometown didn't really think anything of us at all? Well, Jesus experienced all of those things. But it's this that makes him angry. In other words, Jesus is not angered by how he is treated. He's angered by how these little ones are treated. He wasn't angry as he went to the cross. He went like a lamb. He experienced the greatest injustice. But it's this that makes him angry. This so misrepresents what my kingdom is about. Is, I think, the thought in Jesus' mind. I don't want these children going away under the impression that they don't matter. That I am too busy for them. That there are other priorities. Oh, I've, I've got to invest in these 12 disciples. I've got to pour all my, all my life into them. They're going to be leading soon. So I'm, so I've no time for these other distractions. Well, of course he's investing his disciples. But he has time for children. Disciples can get distracted. We can get distracted by what we think is important. The disciples at this point could be thinking, we don't have time for this. There isn't time. They could have a sense of the importance of their own calling. Jesus, you've got to invest in us. The clock is ticking. We're nearing Jerusalem. And so that can just skew in their mind what's important. We can have similar attitudes. We know in this that the disciples are in the wrong. But sometimes subtly, uh, as grown-ups anyway, we can start drifting into these ways of thinking. Oh, he's, he's just a child. Oh, it's okay. She won't remember when she's older. It won't really affect them. doesn't matter. Just they can come back when they're a bit older. Well, actually, probably most of us know that we do remember. We do remember things, really significant positive things that happened when we were this high. And often, sometimes, really unpleasant things that happened when we were this high. So Jesus is keen. I want to spend time with children. Lesson Number one, to shape the way that we think. To challenge what seems like a priority. But what else do we see here? We see that God cares about children, which is related to a second lesson, a second point. God cares about childlikeness. God cares that we all are like children. So Jesus is not just challenging and shaping our attitude 
towards children. Jesus is not just encouraging the children. I'm keen, I'm interested, I'm involved. I want to involve you, I want to spend time with you. That's an important lesson to hear. But he's also challenging us to have the same attitude as children. So, newsflash, there are some things that children are better at. Ooh. There are some things that come more naturally to children. Now, we can automatically think, well, that just sounds a bit topsy-turvy. Often the kingdom does do that. Now, of course, there are childish things to grow out of. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says words to the effect, well, when I was a child, I I thought like a child. I talked like a child. Uh, Now, I need to put childish ways behind me. Yes, there are things to grow out of. I needed to learn... That's important to brush my teeth. So I should stop trying to avoid it. And just pretend that I did it. No, you need to look after your teeth. I had to grow out of that. I needed to learn the hard, uh, painful way. That it wasn't right to hide mud in the clean washing. Um, That is something to grow out of. Because we're just hardwired to, to... To be me-centred. What do I want to do? Well, here's a football. There's the washing. Uh, It's a bit muddy, but it doesn't matter. What a wonderful opportunity I have. It's like a gold net. Just for me, it's there. Uh, No. (laughs) That's not good. I needed to learn not to be unkind to my classmate James in year three. I wasn't nice to him. I was unkind. And I can look back now and think, yes, there were some insecurities that maybe was coming out of me, but there are childish ways to grow out of. And as we grow up, of course, we we learn more. We understand more. We can do more. There might be things that we can do now that we, we couldn't do back then. Keepy uppies. Struggle with that. I can, I can handle a few now, but anyway. Um, so we learn what's appropriate in different situations. And sometimes we have this as a family. This is okay to talk about as a family around a table. Um, but this is not a conversation for just when anyone's around. There's differences sometimes in what's appropriate conversation. All stuff that we need to learn. But what is a child better at than Many of us. I will mention a couple of things. Being humble. Children are good at knowing when they need help. Number two. Children are trusting. Children are good or children are better at believing or expecting help to come. This is the moment when small child on top bunk says, 
Daddy, Mummy, catch me. And before you've had a chance to respond, they're already jumping. Because they just believe, they expect you've got the strength to catch. It's fine. Everything's going to be alright because Mum's here, or Dad's here, or Aunt's here, or Uncle's here. And I wonder if children are good or better at being grateful. Now that might not sound obvious. Sometimes as parents, we're very keen, we're just aware um, that we want to teach our children to say thank you. And, um, and we can be aware of the occasions when our children don't say thank, thank you. <gasps> and that reflects on us, and so we would get all sweaty palms and anxious. And sometimes we do nag a little bit, it's true. So why do I say that? Well, children know... They can't offer anything in return. They expect presents at Christmas. But they know, actually, they need help from you, even to give you something. (laughs) So there's a sense in which children, I think, are better at receiving gifts. And it doesn't, doesn't lead to some sudden panic of I've now got to give something back, I've now got to return the gesture I've now got to buy something of equal value, I've now got to put in the same amount of thought I've, uh, I've, I've, I've got to be able to kind of pay it back children know they can't do it so they just receive and say thanks and that's good it's good to be humble oh I need your help to acknowledge need. Sometimes it's children who are better at asking questions because they don't mind acknowledging they don't know the answer. And sometimes new believers of whatever age are really, really good at asking questions because they know they're new to it. And so they don't mind asking questions. What does that mean? How, how should I handle this situation? situation and the new believer is therefore a godsend to every small group ministry because conversation just opens up around the fact that someone's asked a really pertinent question which the rest of us we're just a bit too sophisticated or worried about what other people might think to ask can you see how childlikeness is really important trusting That when I call to him, he's there for me. And he's going to help me. I love uh, Psalm 131. It's a a beautiful picture of childlike faith. It's quite brief, so I can read the whole thing. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. You see, there's there's an element there, a a childish way has been put behind. This child is weaned. It's not kind of crying, screaming, demanding. This is what I want, this is what I need. Come on, deliver the goods for me now. 
which is the way of a small baby. That's the only way they know to communicate. Screaming and crying when something's not right. But actually, here we've got a child who's learned just to enjoy being with mum. Just for who she is. Not just for what she does and what she can sort out for me. Whether that is milk or whether that is ironing and washing my clothes or, Mum, where's this? Where's that? Here's the child enjoying closeness with someone they know and trust has the best for them. It's a kind of picture of beautiful contentment. Of being childlike. And something so important is at stake in this. Not just because we need to represent the kingdom, but actually because we need to make sure we've entered it. The only way to come into God's kingdom, Jesus teaches here, is to be childlike. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. How do we receive the kingdom? Well, we're not born into the kingdom. We need to be born again. How are we born again? Humbly. I know I need help. I can't lift myself out of this. I've fallen down this muddy pit of my own mess and sin. God, would you pick me up? There's no way I can work this one out myself. Adults can get more and more self-reliant. I've got to sort this myself. I can do it. I can do it. Do it. Sometimes we can even teach children, you got yourself into it, so you better get yourself out of it. Actually, no, there's a childlikeness to it. I can't get myself out. I need help. God. But then there's trust, believing. If I ask God to do this, if I ask him to forgive me, if I ask him to rescue me, if I ask him to help me, I'm expecting that he's going to help me. I'm not kind of waiting to see it in a nervous, anxious way. Or just not asking for help at all. Because I just assume God won't help. And gratitude as well. Something is so important and at stake in entering the kingdom and then in what it means to live in God's kingdom, part of God's family. We are children of God. The scripture tells us time and time again, we are encouraged to relate to God as Father. So when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, our Father in heaven, right at the beginning, we're reminding ourselves of this relationship of who he is, of his love, of the fact that he is there for us. In Luke chapter 11, when Jesus was teaching the disciples there on prayer, he said, well, which of you fathers, if your son asked for a, um, uh, an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's a childlike acknowledgement. If I ask my heavenly father for something that is good, if I ask him for more of the Holy Spirit, if I ask him for help, if I ask him for blessing, he's not going to harm. 
He's not going to become nasty. He's not going to be passive. He's not going to be disinterested. And I love the little detail when in John chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And as the tomb is open, Jesus says, Thank you, Father, that you heard me. But I know that you always hear me. I said this for their benefit. Jesus' total expectation and his experience is, I have a father who always listens, who always hears, who who gives me his attention. And I see what the father is doing, and I join in with what he's doing. A beautiful picture. We can all just think, well, many of us can think, well, ah, yes, but that wasn't my experience Father, son, father, daughter, parent, children, relationships are so important because they hint at an even more important relationship. And we have an enemy who will do his best. If he can do something to spoil that relationship, he knows that he, will dis- he can use it then to discourage us from relating to God as we should. In simple humility, in simple trust, and in simple gratitude. Children do remember painful events that happen to them in younger years. That can become, uh, there can be strongholds in the way that we think. That prevent us from appreciating God as Father. Robbing us of the simple joy of relationship with Him. It's so important. It's so vital. Paul could write in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. He's so persuaded of the goodness of God's fatherhood that it encourages, it motivates him to pray big, robust prayers expecting answers, expecting blessing, expecting help. Because God, that's what God is like. That's who God is. He is Father, And we need to see in Scripture, if we don't have, or if we didn't have, a hugely positive experience of, um, of our father or our parents, maybe it was positive, but there are just a few things here and there, the odd negative thing that happened, and that can weigh more on our minds. Well... Come to the scriptures, come to the gospels, come to what Jesus' relationship with his father is like and see that that's what leads us in relating with God as father. That's, Jesus is revealing God's heart. He's revealing what God is like. We can get distracted with what we think is important. We can um, develop kind of attitudes where we just think, 
We've got to be self-reliant. We're being encouraged to, to enjoy a relationship with God. We're not trying to compete for his attention. We just know we're secure in his affection. Out of that comes caring for others. A love that bubbles up for young ones. A love that bubbles up for people who might be on the edge and the periphery of society. Um, why? Because, well, we know we're secure. So there's a natural love that overflows out there to others as well. And I think, perhaps, on that note, we will wrap up for today. God cares about children. and God wants us to enjoy being like them as well. Shall we stand? I think we'll worship together just to conclude. of the the confidence with which we can come to our Heavenly Father. And Lord, I thank you I can thank you that like a child we can run into your presence. We can throw ourselves at you. We can bring requests before you. We can talk to you, even though sometimes our words might be a little bit gaga, but you understand and you care, and you know us inside out. You are a perfect, loving, heavenly Father, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord, as we've heard your word, for all of us of every age, right around this room, Father, I pray for a profound blessing to come as we reflect on this word, as we encourage one another, as we worship you with truth, Lord Jesus. That If there are any unhelpful ways of thinking that we have developed that they just be bashed out of the bashed out of the way that we think Lord Jesus that whilst we want to grow in understanding and knowledge and maturity essentially we've been called to simple faith a simple relationship that doesn't become over complicated or too sophisticated that we enjoy being with you And we expect to encounter you meeting with us, speaking with us, encouraging us, answering prayer and blessing us in Jesus name. Amen.